Hello, this is Brett Fuller, and this is Your 15. We want to continue on the topic of church government. Paul talks a little bit about this when he talks about the order of the church in, in Ephesians chapter 4. And verses 8 through 14 say this, Therefore it says, When he ascended on high, he led a captive of hosts captive, and he gave gifts to men. Now this expression, he ascended, what does it mean except that he also descended into the lower parts of the earth? And he who descended is himself also he who ascended far above all the heavens, so that he might fill all things. And verse 11, he gave some to be apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. And as a result, verse 14, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness or deceitful scheming. Paul says here that when Jesus rose, he rose with gifts. God loves you. And he is about not only bringing you into what you're called to be, but he's about assisting you in that process. And when Christ arose, he didn't just arise for his own benefit. He arose for your benefit. And when he arose, it says he gave gifts. But those gifts were not necessarily, although it's inclusive of, but not necessarily just material possessions. It's not just spiritual life. It's not just spiritual gifts. But it's also he gave gifts called men. He gave men to the church. And these gifts... And it says he gave some as apostles, meaning when he arose, he ascended on high, and he gave gifts to men, and he gave some as apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. One of the greatest gifts the church has ever been given is the gift of men, men and women who can lead the church the way it should be led, hearing from God, directing what they hear into productive and an executable strategy, allowing the church to be shepherded well, guiding the church well, not driving the church, understanding that the church is a group of sheep, it's a flock, it's not a herd of cattle. Cattle need to be driven. They don't listen to the voice of their cowboy and follow. Generally, they have to be told what to do with some degree of force. And uh, this is why in the Old West they call them cattle drives. You got to get behind these animals and push them where they need to go. They're big. They're strong. They don't have to go where a 180-pound man tells them to. They can do what they want to do. And if they don't want to do what the man says, generally they can, they can run them over. So you have to use some force here. But sheep, sheep need to be guided. They can't be driven. You drive sheep, they really don't respond very well. And this is why Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice, and they follow. Sheep are attracted to the shepherd's voice. And one of the greatest gifts a church can be given is the voice of a real shepherd in the form of an apostle, a prophet, an evangelist, a pastor, or a teacher. And these gifts allow the church to be what it should be, to grow up, 
it says that these these four or five gifts, and we say four or five because there is no conju uh, conjunction between pastor, teacher. In the Greek, it literally says pastor, teacher, not pastor and teacher. But I don't have any problem with calling it five rather than four or four than five because I know some fabulous teachers that help equip the church that aren't necessarily great pastors. And I know great pastors who aren't necessarily the great, greatest teachers. And then I know great pastors who are excellent teachers. And so however you want to put it, it doesn't matter to me because we need all of those gifts, whether they represent four men or five men, we need all of them to become what we need to be as a church. And the primary role of these men is, number one, to equip. To equip you to be the best you can possibly be. To be the person that God thought about when he thought about creating you to equip you with the skills to deal with relational conflict and tension, to equip you with the skills to deal with your money well, so you become a really good steward, a giving, aggressively giving person, trying to establish the kingdom and watching God provide for all your needs according to his riches and glory, Philippians 4, 19. Equipping you so that you can be a competent minister, a person that can go out and take this gospel to anybody at any time, any place, your neighborhood, your workplace, your community, your family, equipping you to be an excellent student, a wonderful child, an excellent husband, wife, father, mother, equipping you to be what you ought to be, because the Bible has something to say about every one of those things. And as, as these apostles, as these ministers begin to break open that word and, and help you understand both in the Old and New Testament, what it means to be the best believer you can possibly be, you become equipped. You walk out of a session, whether it be a one-on-one -on -one session, whether it be a teaching session in, in a small class, or whether it be a Sunday morning, you walk out feeling, boy, I've got something in my tool belt now. I can show up to a spiritual work site and I can get some stuff done. I know how to respond now when somebody doesn't treat me well. I know what it means to be a loving spouse to one who doesn't love back very well. I know what it means to be an excellent parent to a rebellious child. I know what it means to give even when I, I know that there are other obligations, yet I feel the Holy Spirit inspiring me to give. I know what it means to do that and, and to step out in faith, equipping you to be the best you can possibly be and to build up the body of Christ. When it, when it says build up, it actually means to make it grow. And not just make it grow numerically, but make it grow internally, meaning individually. That the church ought not to be sucking on a bottle anymore. That we ought to be a group of people that, that enjoy eating steak and, and, and full course meals, and then doing something with what we've just eaten or heard. And we aren't always just crying, help me, help me, please, I'm in trouble. I Get me out of the ditch in which I've fallen. Oh, God, I need help. At some point, you're going to have to grow up and become the help of somebody else rather than you just being the one who needs help all the time. Now, I, I mentioned these two primary roles as being those which the, the, the five-fold ministry is to, to uh, serve in, primarily because most folk think, that these five guys are, are the ones that are supposed to be paid to do the ministry. That they pay a pastor, or they pay a prophet, or they pay a man who's got apostolic gifting. And, and, and that they, they pay him to go out and do it. He's the one that's supposed to help grow the church and, and bring in the numbers and do all the ministry. No, 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 no. The paid clergy 
or the clergy that is called to do it that is not paid. There are a lot of clergy around the world that's, that are volunteers. Those who are in this, this fivefold ministry are supposed to be those who equip you for the purpose of service. That's our primary job. Rather than us going out and doing it, you're to be the ones, much like Jesus, even though the disciples who, uh, thought it was a better idea for, for, for Jesus to stay, they wanted Jesus to stay. Why in the world should you go? You're the best minister we have. Nobody like you. Don't go. Jesus said in John 14, it's better that I go. Because if I don't go, the Holy Spirit won't come. And I get to go so that you can be multiplied. Meaning this, that his influence would be multiplied in them if he went. And so on the day of Pentecost, there were 120 people in the upper room. And those 120 now became 120 little versions of Jesus rather than one Jesus ministering to a, a, a limited number of people. Now 120 can minister to many more. And so Jesus thought it was primarily his role to spend his time with the 12 and then beyond that, the 70 and beyond that, the 120, so that he could prepare them to do ministry once he was gone. And do you see how the church expanded beyond what Jesus was able to grow it while he was on the planet? In one day, 3,000 folk got saved. And then it just kept growing and growing and growing until it is what it is today. The multiplication of ministry is the, the five-fold ministry's goal. To, 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 to duplicate themselves over and again in the midst of the congregation so that you all, so that the church, the sheep, can do the work of ministry. Now, these gifts are, are, are supposed to be those that work until some things happen. And these, these can be the benchmarks, the mile markers as to whether we are experiencing success and the fivefold ministry is doing what it's, what it's supposed to do. One, until we all attain to the unity of the faith. Now, that doesn't mean we're all going to agree about everything. That simply means that we agree about the certain and important doctrines that we call orthodoxy. That God is a spirit. Uh, that there is a, a triune nature to him. To the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And that he sent his Son in the form of, of a human. And that man lived a sinless life named Jesus and that he was unjustly crucified, put in a grave. And because he did not sin, the grave could not hold him. And he rose again and he lives evermore to make intercession on our behalf. And we are redeemed and we are saved only by his blood, his sacrifice on the cross, which forgives us of our sin and allows us the privilege of now living righteous lives. He became sin that we might become his righteousness in him. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21. That is the unity of the faith to which we need to come. Let's face it. For us to try to agree about everything, it ain't ever going to happen. I mean, you barely agree with yourself. You contradict yourself. Six months from now, you probably won't believe what you believe right now because you grow in your understanding of what truth is. And so we can't agree upon everything, but we must be in unity and not let the things that are that are not central, become those which separate us. Growth is this, mile marker, that we've attained to the unity of what it means to believe in the Son of God, unity of the faith. Secondly, that we would know God. We'd understand Him better every day. Now, God is infinite. It's impossible for us to know Him completely because He is bigger than any of our minds can, can, can fathom, 
and he's bigger than the aggregate of our understanding. Meaning if you put all the body of Christ together and, and, and combined our wisdom, we still wouldn't be able to figure out all of who he is. That's how big our God is, which is wonderful. But it doesn't mean that we can't understand more of him. And every day we are to be on a quest to understand who he is, to get in this Bible and love him. You really can't understand him unless you read his word. Get in his word so that you can know more about him. Secondly, we are to grow up into all the fullness of Christ, meaning that the body is to become literally the body of Christ. Now, we are known that we are known by that name in, 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 in identity, but not necessarily in experience. We are the body of Christ, meaning we have the title, but we ought to act like it. We ought to grow up into the fullness of who Jesus would be if he were manifest in a church or in the church. This is a mile marker to let us know whether we're being successful. And we are to no longer be carried away by false doctrine. Oh, there are so many things that come down the pike. You got this stream and that stream and this new emphasis. Listen, there is nothing new under the sun. It's all been done before at one time or another. Our job is to make sure in the fivefold ministry that we keep the church on the straight and narrow, that we stay on mission. What is the mission that Jesus said was most important when he left? To make sure we make disciples, to teach him everything he said, Matthew 28. And if we would do that, he would be with us always. And so we as a church, even though we appreciate the different emphases that come down the pike, people feeling the Holy Ghost in ways like they never have before and, and falling out and all kind of stuff. Listen, I've, 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 I'm for anything that helps a person get better. But when we talk about strategy as a church, I want to make sure that we're making disciples. We're doing the last thing that Jesus said to do, that we are going into all the earth, making disciples, teaching them to observe everything he has commanded, building congregations, and making sure he's honored with our life. This is what the fivefold ministry is to do, and these are the mile markers that help us know that we are doing it well. This has been your 15.